And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lies below the surface. And this is uh, part two of our silent movie month, which has been fun and it has opened up a lot of doors for me. I can tell you that. Has uh, it? It has. Yeah. Since, since the last podcast, I am reading a biography of Buster Keaton. I have probably seen... Three more Buster Keaton movies. Um, as, as I'm reading the biography, it talks about these movies, and um, they're all on YouTube. So I just pop them up and watch them. And man, it's just been fun. Oh, really, what been a good idea. That. Yeah, yeah. Buster Keaton is fascinating. Um, just yeah. real briefly, but you know, like sometimes you read a biography and it starts with you know these are the person's parents and and he was born or he or she was born. And oh, then yeah. you're just like, okay, can we get to where he was president or, you know, or where she was an actress in the movies or, you know, whatever it is you're reading. And um, in this book, when he was a kid was fascinating because he was, he was born to vaudeville performers who traveled. And since he was able to walk, he has been on stage because they would have to leave him with somebody off stage. And, but that person that was watching him while his parents were performing, had other duties like, you know, maybe opening the curtains or whatever duties oh, they're doing. Okay. So they were, the full attention was not given to little Buster Keaton. So he'd trot oh. out on stage. And of course, you know, people went wild and thought it was fantastic. So very shortly after that, they just put costume on him and sent him out there on purpose. <laughs> he said, go, wow. go sit in the corner or whatever. Yeah. But by the time he was five, he was actually an active part of their routines. And um, all those physical things that he learned how to do, he learned there because they were doing very physical comedy on stage and he learned how to fall correctly without getting hurt. And um, okay. he, you know, so it was a lifetime of training to get to where he was. Okay. Super interesting. Anyway, yeah. but today we're going to talk about Metropolis. And mm -hmm. the Phantom Carriage. Yeah, it's interesting because today, even though two, one of our films last time was Alfred Hitchcock, who was in England at the time, but it's a real kind of a American Hollywood-ish kind of a vibe more. Mm -hmm, and then Buster mm -hmm. Keaton, of course, Hollywood. Now we're going to Europe. Things that were influential to Hollywood movies or to Hollywood directors. And... Um, it's interesting to think about the difference now that you were bringing up all the Buster Keaton, the vaudeville kind of connection, which we know here, mm. they uh, were going to talk about Metropolis, which is by Fritz Lang, who's famous German, German expressionist. And um, then uh, the Phantom Carriage, gosh, that guy <laughs> who did his. Victor Jostrom. Uh, Sure. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I feel everyone. like that's the right pronunciation. S -J yes, S-J-O-S-T-R-O-M. The person that evidently no one's heard of except for people like um, Stanley Kubrick doing The Shining, uh, Ridley Scott, who at least his movies were so influential in look and feel 
And unbeknownst to me, the Phantom Carriage, which we're going to talk about, was also extremely influential. So we're looking at the big daddies. <laughs> just yeah. because um, I started off when I was when I discovered kind of silent movies last year was Metropolis was on my list of movies I had to watch last year. And I watched that thing and I was like, I'd only seen little clips which shows, you know, the big art deco-y kind of building sets and then the, the workers trudging in. Yes, yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. This, I get this. This movie was freaking nuts. It was. There Not is. at all what I expected. That's great. No. <laughs> it's got a sexy female robot. It has a mad scientist, forbidden love, a rooftop chase with a fist fight. A chase of the heroine through the catacombs that scared me. And this actress is one of the best actresses for doing this double role of being the sweet heroine and the evil, sexy robot. Oh, yeah. It was, um, it was amazing. You know, she, she had a little bit of makeup on her eyes, right, um, that helped. I can't but believe the, she could open her eyelashes. Yeah, but, yes. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, you could tell just by looking at her which, which one she was. It wasn't... I mean, she was terrific. Just her face, you oh, know. She, yeah. She said it she, in her face. He gives. She gets her mission of here's what you're gonna do, and she just looks at him and gives this salacious wink. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> oh <laughs> man, yeah. <laughs> Can't be you. <laughs> and then when you're watching, if you're not expecting it, like I wasn't, and I don't know if you were or not, but you could see influences for like the Frankenstein movies and how they show the. Mad Scientist Lab and Blade Runner, hmm. Star Wars, all these things um, that it will get mentioned in. Yeah, and I, I don't know why I didn't expect this, but these movies that we've watched, all four of them, um, really laid the foundation for everything that came after. I mean, it's like, you know, watching a Hitchcock film, you can see in The Lodger the seeds of what he was trying to do, and then you know, with the physical comedy and that, and then Metropolis, how much it influenced other things um, in science fiction, <laughs> and then uh, the Phantom Carriage in horror. It's mm-hmm. it's just amazing, you know, that um, I guess what was has been surprising to me in this little uh, exploration so far is how how sophisticated it is. Yes. You know, um, especially these two movies. These two movies are... Man, they're they're out there. I mean, but it, it was really something. It was just unexpected. You know, you have you know with the Buster Keaton, it's slapstick comedy that gets more sophisticated as his career progresses. He's just doing more complicated things with better story. You know, as he moves forward. But then here right. in Metropolis, it's just it's it's amazing what he did. Uh, Fritz Lang did in this movie, and it's like two and a half hours long. I don't know. Did you? We should mention that too. Um, the one I had was two hours long. Um, so I guess uh, the the short story on that is that, um, so the original cut, I guess, was two and a half hours. And then it got cut down to two. And I'm not sure why that happened. But they've lost, they lost the any prints that were two and a half, any of the original length. And then they found a print in Argentina that had it all on there, but what you could tell, I mean, the quality was very low of what they had Mm -hmm. added. So it was like, and they were, I don't know that I would call them major scenes or anything, 
Um, I think that the two-hour one must just be tighter because you can tell what they removed. So I don't know. I don't know if it's worth watching the two and a half or not. Yeah, watching the two-hour one, what they did is uh, just do the black car, which uh, anybody who watches silent movies is used to this. Um, They would do a black screen for the shots that were missing, but they'd know enough of the story to give a quick story synopsis Mm. of what was happening. Okay. So... um, I didn't feel like I lost anything from it. It was yeah. still just as nuts as ever. <laughs> you bet. And um, yeah, so uh, it's basically it's it's definitely science fiction. It's something. It's a kind of story we recognize. Like I say, just from the little clips you'll see of the workers trudging in and out, and you're like, oh no, there's the 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 rich and powerful and the poor mm. downtrodden workers and everything. But what you don't expect is this love story, is the way these things are expressed uh, visually. It is lavish. Mm. And I think it just cost a fortune and took forever. And uh, the director was really criticized for how he treated his actors, but he was the great artist, you know, (laughs) uh, that kind of thing. And so, um, basically, this is set in a futuristic city. And there's the working class and then the city planners. And the city planners have built this wonderful thing called the Garden of hmm. Children. Yeah, yeah. For the for the sons of the city, they say. But there's <laughs> this is the first thing where I went, all right, there wasn't a Hollywood code then. My goodness. The way these <laughs> uh young ladies were dressed, it was it was obviously supposed to look crazy and futuristic. But there was an awful lot of sheer gauze on the upper part of the body, and that was it, you know, where you're kind of looking going I know there's other stuff, but I'm fascinated by the fact that almost everything is showing, but they somehow did it in a way that Star Trek would have been proud of. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so all that's going on to titillate the audience, but basically um, a young woman who is there trying to help the downtrodden workers, and she's one of them. She brings all these little poor children up to see this garden and go, we're all brothers together. And when she does that, the son of the city's top leader takes one look at her and falls in love Hmm. and follows her down to see where she comes from because he wants to find her again. And she's essentially like a prophet. They all meet in the catacombs. and, And this is the other thing that fascinated me when I saw it. There's this Christian, all this Christian imagery. Yeah, yeah. And they're talking about the mediator. There can be no understanding between the hands, which is the workers, and the brain, which is the city leaders, unless the heart acts as a mediator. Hmm. And so then you start to have this messianic uh, figure talked about. Right. Who it's extremely <laughs> obvious from the very beginning, it's the son. And uh, because he's the only one who he who understands both sides, and he's of course very sympathetic to the workers, because you know Maria Mary is um, preaching this message to everyone. So um, then, the father finds out he's not pleased. He goes to his friend, the, the local mad scientist, and, and there's other stuff. Rot Wang, Rot Wang, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Rot Wang. Rot Wang. <laughs> yeah. He is the classic mad scientist. He's got, um, I was even making notes at one point. I mean, he has a dwarf servant. You only see him once, but you know, that's mm-hmm. all you need. He's got, is it a wooden hand? Because he lost a hand making his <laughs> yeah. machine man, which is yeah. a robot. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he's it was obsessed. worth it. It was so worth oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> he tells us straight out. <laughs> I'm glad I lost my hand if it meant I could make my machine man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh. um, he's obsessed with a dead woman who, to be fair, so is the city leader because it's his dead wife mm-hmm. who died giving birth to the son. Fredder. Yeah. Fredder. Fredder. And yeah. um, Fredderson. Fredderson. Yeah, Fredder, Fredder, and yeah. So yeah, there's Fredderson Joe, is Joe the Fredderson, Joe J O H, yeah, and then Fredder, yeah. Fredder is the is the son of Fredderson. This is getting confusing. <laughs> yes, it is. And um, mm. and the machine man who can be very futuristic in a way, although it's obviously got a woman's body set up there in metal. But um, the idea being that you can imprint any human image on it that you want. Yeah, super interesting. So, yeah, so it's kind of mythic in a way. Um, so, you know, like these, you know, we, when we see Fredder for the first time, he's hanging out in the garden, you know, yes. like you said, it, it, it's somewhere way up high, I guess, you know, because everybody mm-hmm. everybody is down low who is doing the machines. And yeah. then these, these incredible images of these, this group of workers showing up to work, you know, and relieving the oh. previous shift, you know, that is kind of how it opens and how they're just marching. And then watching them run the machine, you know, whatever the machine does, you know, they're, they're, it, it's like, you know, this, this workers are part of the machine, you know, we're all part of a machine that mm-hmm. is keeping society running, right? I, I'm, that's what I'm pulling out of it. And whatever the machines that we're using are doing, you know, but we go to work right. every day to keep this stuff going. And uh, for these folks, it's a little soul crushing. But the, you know, and, and, the mach- and the machines that they they are using um, are really interesting. So, but so Fredder, he falls in love with this this woman. And then he then goes down to the machines to try to find her. And then is so moved by what he's seeing there that he switches places with somebody. And I thought that was really interesting. He's like, I need to be running these machines, you know, um, because, you know, he wants to maybe understand Maria or get closer to her or whatever. He wants to be one of the people that she talks to. Um, I also just felt like he had so much human sympathy for the person he's watching because twice we see um, the people... It's not just soul crushing. They physically can't really keep up with the work. And I was yeah, like, if they have yeah. all these people, why aren't they giving them shorter shifts? A 10-hour shift? <laughs> I don't understand how they're supposed to physically just keep jumping around like this. And it's interesting because, um, for one thing, what they're doing is they these. it's like a huge clock each person's mm-hmm. working at. And these different lights will go off and they have to move these different hands around <laughs> to match the light or things don't work. And I'm thinking, oh... They're tied to the machine. This is the clock that keeps them, you know, they're on the clock kind of thing. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, it's so that's interesting imagery. And then at one point he's watching it and something goes wrong. This is when uh, Fredder first shows up down there. And he has a vision of as everybody's going up to try and serve the machine to make it work right and quit burning them and killing them with its, you know, electricity and fog and everything. It's hemp smoke. Um, he sees Moloch hmm. eating the people. They're just marching yeah. in as sacrifices. So he himself has a religious vision that kind of awakens his social conscience. Maria gets it started. Hmm. 
But what he sees down there further continues the development so that yeah, he understands cool. more of what she's saying and is willing to be the mediator. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it's an extremely basic kind of a Christ story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, that's what it's building on. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there's a other, you know, there's a dance of the seven deadly sins and there's all this, you know, degeneracy versus virtue kind of thing mm-hmm. with the two Marias. And, right. um <laughs> So there's all that stuff in there, which I seriously did not know what to expect, but I expected something boring. <laughs> this I was on the yeah. edge of my seat. I was, know, I was going, expecting what's going to happen next. Yeah, I was expecting a, a typical, you know, science fiction story where you know the robot maybe gets away and uh, you know the machine's taking over and there's a battle oh. or something like. I mean, that's yeah. just what's in my head. That's a typical robot story. But instead, we get this, you know, where yeah, we're talking about the mediator, you know, somebody who who understands the machine and the, the people above and is, you know, trying to bridge them. Um, that's fascinating stuff. And I, you know, I don't know why, but I, Harlan Ellison kept coming up in my head while I was watching this. Oh, Because, you know, like uh, The City on the Edge of Forever with Joan Collins, you know, th- there's just something similar about this situation, you know, with with her, uh, you know, before she, she became the machine man, uh, and there was two of them, you know, just her being like a missionary, mm-hmm. um, talking to people, um, you know, that's exactly what Joan Collins was doing in, yeah. in, uh, the city on the edge of forever. And then, um, also just the machine, you know, there's a story called repent Harlequin said the TikTok man, which is oh. this engine, you know, everybody is just working on the machine. And the Harlequin in that story is someone who's disrupting the machine. So, you know, the machine oh. is running so efficiently that, um, you know, time, there's a timekeeper. And that's what the TikTok man is. There's a timekeeper. And, okay. and the Harlequin would do something that would delay people for 10 seconds and throw the entire schedule off, you know. Um, but, um, anyway, so I'm guessing he, he, he saw this, but I don't know why, but that was like really connecting there. Well, it is such a seminal movie Mm -hmm. and it was so influential in so many ways. And Fritz Lang, the director was anyway. Right. So he, um, he did this. That's interesting. Uh, He did, um, M, which I believe there was sound. Oh, there was sound in M. I haven't seen it, but I'm mm-hmm. told by a reliable source yeah. that there's a little song that gets whistled right before every child gets killed by the serial killer. Huh. So it's a film noir. Right. But in this country, he made a bunch of movies. So like, um, and I was kind of just glancing and he made um, the big heat with Gloria Graham and Lee Marvin, where Lee Marvin throws a steaming hot cup of coffee right in Gloria Graham's face. I mean, Hardcore stuff, which you wow. would expect from mm. someone like this. And yeah. my goodness. Um, but he, so he knew how to tell a story. He did. And um, yeah, I mean, there's not many films that look like what he did back then. Um, no. Just the visuals of it were incredible. I mean, there was, it was like, you know, every frame is a painting or a work of art. You know, I, I, in my head, I can see Maria down there was a point you know where the the um uh joe frederson (laughs) who's Mm -hmm. like the god figure i guess 
is looking through this hole and he can see the preaching going on. And it's just stunning, you know, uh, these crosses that are really elongated and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's like a painting. So you said he's an impressionist. Is that what you said? German expressionist. German ex- expressionist. Okay. German expressionist is what he was. And let me just look real quick. It's a number of related created movements in Germany before the First World War that reached a peak in Berlin during the 1920s. So um, that's very unhelpful in terms of telling you what it is, but it it influenced everything. It influenced um, architecture, dance, painting, sculpture, cinema. And in that sense, I can see that this movie brought a lot of those elements together. Yeah. You know, right? Says, um, it embraced an ethic of change and a willingness to look to the future by experimenting with bold new ideas and artistic styles. And when you think about the fact that we were praising the modernism of um, the border last time, mm. the lodger. Sorry, yeah, the <laughs> we lodger, were praising yeah. the yeah, we were praising the lodger last time for how <laughs> fresh and modern it was. Wow, and. He, Hitchcock, had been in Germany and seen this stuff and came back just kind of on fire with uh, this way of expressing yourself. Mm. So, a lot of what we have kind of has that as um, this is the legacy it gave us. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's why we can look at this movie Metropolis and follow a lot of it. Some of it is very old storyline material. So, like the fight on the rooftops of the church. Mm. This is, you know, what, Victor Hugo-type material. It's swashbucklers. It's, you know, um, in fact, another, this is a silent movie, too. Excellent movie is The Man Who Laughs. Mm. Um, okay. And uh, that that's down. got that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Okay. It's super creepy in the some ways, but laughs. it's really good. Yeah. The that's man. Cool. I'm pretty sure The Man Who Laughs. Okay. And, um mm. This movie, I went, oh my gosh, that's that kind of thing from there. So it's kind of like he took everything and mashed it all in. Uh, Because think of how when we looked at the lab scene where he's putting Maria's face Hmm. and body onto the machine man. All that stuff had to be so new and crazy looking. But it was very familiar because it looked like all the Frankenstein movies. (laughs) Right, right. You know? Yeah. And even a lot of stuff today, which says, I'm going to show you something, and it's set in the old times, but it indicates futurism and all that. It's the rings coming out of the machine, <laughs> the electrical stuff, and going up and down. Yeah. Yeah. And that famous image of all that happening with that robot standing there, mm-hmm. you know, and then changing. But, the, you know, that I, I think that image, it's like, it's just everywhere. I, I don't know where I've taken that in, but it's, you know, that image is just very familiar. So I know yeah. that it's been in, in other movies since, but, you know, this particular robot in that particular lab is an image that I've seen many, many times, mm-hmm. even though I've never seen the movie until now. Mm-hmm. Also, think of the images that we were given of the beautiful city that the um, elite got to live in. Yeah. That yeah. was also very familiar. They had airplanes, which mm-hmm. would have been super modern. They had these skyways that people are just zipping along in cars or mm-hmm. they're streaming along it as people. and But they're all really elevated, so much space, all this mm-hmm. different architecture. Yeah, it was familiar looking to us because it's influenced so many things since then. Mm-hmm. 
And in terms of the story, I was so surprised, as I said, to find these Christian elements really being leaned on heavily. You know, the son is not Christ. Uh, Maria is not Mary or, or is, you know, she's as close as you can get to a saint. Well, she may be a saint. Mm-hmm. Look yeah. how she influenced him. Mm-hmm. But he's not telling it for that reason. He's using those symbols because they help get across the message. And the message is somebody has to bring all these things together. We need unity for everything to work well. Mm-hmm. And evidently, like the director was just, like I said, he it, all that the scenes with the water and the flooding. He'd make him do like 20 takes and stand in the oh water at clear waist, and he'd make sure it was cold like it should be. And, um, the little kids. <laughs> and all those kids, you know, yeah. Uh, they were, I was kind of glancing over some stuff. They used 500 children from the slums of Berlin. And these kids were in these conditions too. But they said they, when they weren't working, they had toys, they had mm-hmm. beds to sleep in, they had food. Plenty of food, as much as they wanted, they were happy. Oh, that's cool. I know. Mm-hmm. I like to think of them getting a few good meals. <laughs> For sure. But anyway, so mm. um, so there's all the that kind of trivia that goes along with this movie. But mostly, I was just so surprised at how enjoyable it was. Yeah. Yeah. Never agreed. knew where it was going. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't either. Um, but yeah, I, I felt the same way. I thought it was really, um, engaging and it was very surprising. Um, but I, I loved the, the actress, like we said earlier, Brid- Bridget, Bridget Helm. Brigitte Helm. Mm-hmm. Okay. She was so good. Oh, she, I thought she was terrific. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they, they, they just pulled that off great, you know, and, um, there, there's a time even when um, the main character Fredder is a little bit confused because he's trying to save this. Um, he's trying to save Maria as she's basically being burned at the stake, but and he thinks it's her on there, but it's not. It's the it's the bad person, right? It's and we know that robot Maria. We, yeah, it's the robot Maria. As we oh, as we she know, she deserves it. She did deserve it. Uh, not for, <laughs> in fact, not she was the laughing the whole they time. Gave. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, here's the clearest indication that they understand the difference between a machine and a person. Yeah. So a modern movie telling this might make the robot a little sympathetic. Mm-hmm. I was programmed the way I am. Oh, no, don't kill me <laughs> or something like that. You know, you could see it. This one's like, <laughs> I'm glorying in all this destruction. Yes. Even yeah. if I'm being burned up, I, I can't know or understand it. So I'm still glorying in all my evil programming that was mm-hmm. given to me. Right, right. Yeah. Although I did feel like there was a huge gap in logic of the father Frederson's um, plan, which was make the robot look like saintly Maria so it can give the worker all the wrong ideas and tell them to destroy the machines. And I'm like, he's sitting there, everything's going according to plan, and he's sitting there looking at his city with great pleasure all it's at light night so you can see all the lights and suddenly everything goes dark and i'm like you didn't think of this what did you think the machine was doing yeah. it was not just keeping them busy yeah that, that's a that's a very interesting thing to think about though isn't it it's like um you know here this machine is you know does he understand it fully you know it, has it been in place for so long that they don't understand it anymore and then um destroying the machine they don't understand the consequences of it because that's actually a societal statement isn't it it's like 
Oh yeah. Um, you know, you could say even with traditions, you know, that we, we yank this tradition that human beings have held for thousands of years and then are like, well, we don't know what the consequences of that are going to be because we, we genuinely don't. Um, so you, you yank the plug oh. on that and you're like, well, what's society now? You know? Um, yeah, we don't understand the bed, bedrock. Right, right. Of why anything's set up the way it is. What an interesting thought. I never. But yeah, well, just, it just occurred there. to me as you were describing it because, you know, the machine is seen as, you know, kind of an evil thing here. Um, and we, you know, all the workers were part of that machine and, you know, so they wanted to destroy it. But it's interesting that even Joe Frederson wanted to do that. Um, I don't he fully understand was... that. I don't think I did during the movie. Um, you know, could, did it have anything to do with his son? He wanted his son he... not to be enamored yes. with it anymore. So in that way, if that's true, if it's his son, then... It's like his son becoming enamored with a philosophy that he doesn't agree with, and he wants that philosophy destroyed. Yeah, let yeah. me see. Maybe in this summary it will say, um, oh, okay. So, what? okay, so this little summary, because <laughs> it is kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. What it is is both Rotwang, Rotfong, <laughs> who knows, apologies, yeah. mm-hmm. and Frederson have two different sets of orders for the robot. Mm. So... Frederson says, give it Maria's likeness so it can discredit her among the workers. Because her message, uh, although I don't understand that, because she's the only one keeping them from having a revolution. Mm. They want to destroy everything. And she's saying, no, no, just hang on. The mediator's coming. He's going to set everything straight. Let's just keep on the path of love and service and everything. So if it does that, what? But I think it's because of her influence on the sun. And yeah, then Rotvang, yeah. he wants to use the robot to destroy Metropolis because he hates Frederson because he was married to the woman he loves who died. Mm. Yeah. Because he's crazy. Right. Crazy. <laughs> he's a mad scientist. <laughs> he's a mad scientist who made a robot yeah. and gave it nutso orders. Right. The other thing get, that gets me is Maria must be so hypnotic and they're so used to her charismatic and they're so used to following her that when the false Maria completely 180 changes the message, um, all the workers leave her and leave all their kids behind. And I'm like, <laughs> I know they don't take the kids to work with them, yeah. but when they're like, we're going to destroy it and do this and this, and no uh. one takes the kids. Because at one point when I was first watching the movie, I went, but where are the children? Aren't there tiny children somewhere? And I guess they'd all have to go to work anyway. But even the women go. And you don't yeah. really see women working usually. And, yeah, and uh, thank goodness for awesome. the real Maria. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the danger right there of a charismatic leader, right? The, yeah. um, you know, that's what Frank Herbert was doing when he wrote Dune, and then, which was the rise of Paul, and then Dune Messiah, which was his fall, because people uh. started to to do things in his name, you know? Um, but, but that, that's it. why if, so it's like, I mean, we're seeing that in today's politics, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. you know, we, we, we follow this person and then the person is, is leading down a path that's clearly incorrect, but yet it's the charisma of the person somehow that is, um, 
pulling them along, I guess. You know what I mean? So, and, and I would have to say, you know, it's interesting that this comes out of Germany because, you know, they're, you know, the uh, World War II is in their future at this point, you know. And Hitler so it's loved like a, it's like movie. a Oh, did he really? Yes, so, I don't think he understood the message. Yeah, but it, it's well. <laughs> like it's like a warning that wasn't heeded, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but that is like the dangers of a charismatic leader where you know, uh, the cult of a person suddenly overrides logic. And if you mm-hmm. do that with a mob, it's just scary as heck, you know. And yeah. I think that history is full of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so here's the commentary right there. I mean, and you've got things like, you know, the Russian Revolution. You have all these different things that are happening. So it's a time of upheaval and and rethinking stuff as it is. Yeah, yeah. But, my goodness. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing movie, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the style of it is just awesome. (laughs) It's so funny because Mm -hmm. at one point I was telling my book club friends... This is a crazy movie, and everybody should try it once. <laughs> and this one friend of mine said, oh, I love that. It's a great movie. And I said, you know this movie? And uh, she said, oh, her mother loves silent movies and science fiction. Mm. So she said, I watched it at least once a year growing up. <laughs> it's like, wow. Oh, that's amazing. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. So here's a lesson. Take take your kids yeah, and watch this. That's something. They have to be able to read, of course. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So the Phantom Carriage from another place in Europe, right? Sweden. Sweden, right? How you interesting know, this is, and and this is a movie yeah. that is as religious as a movie gets. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because this is one, and I said this last time, but I'll stay it, say it again here. I came to this movie because I'd read about it a long time ago for some reason, that the special effects were way ahead of their time. And I thought, ooh, Phantom Carriage. I, I want to see the ghosts, and I want to see everything. And it turns out the Phantom Carriage is not that prominent in a lot of the movie but this drama is gripping, and um, and it does multi-layered stories within stories. There's non-linear timelines. I have to say, watching it a second time, it was a lot clearer in some parts. Yeah, I was but, I was surprised by that too. I mean, I, we've seen movies, modern movies, that play with the timeline like that. But uh, here we are in 1921. I mean, good heck. Yeah. I mean, this is the this this movie predates everything we watched in, of these four. Well, I know, and it it did it in such a way that you thought at the beginning you knew what was going on when there's the dying woman asking for David to come mm-hmm. to her. Yeah. And by the end, everything has been flipped on its head, and the and the woman who comes and is like, it's David's wife, and she's like wanting to kill her and everything, even though she's dying, and you're like, oh, I get it. Nope. Nope, you don't get it at all. <laughs> Not at all. And it's it's got such an interesting story. And the other thing that really struck me at the time was it has got such subtle acting. I mean, it is really excellent acting by all of these people. And I couldn't decide. I guess it's both the director and the fact that it's a Swedish movie. Hmm. So there's just a different tradition for all of it. Yeah. Yeah, very true. You know, and you mentioned Ingmar Bergman, 
right? Loved mm-hmm. this movie. Was influenced. He loved it. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick loved it. Yeah, Stanley Kubrick. That did jump out at me at the time. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is... I've you seen this scene before. We won't say. Mm-hmm. But you cannot. I have miss seen it. You're this watching scene. Going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! And at that point, I'm going, stop buttoning her dress. Just take her outside. Stop buttoning her dress. It's got a thousand buttons. You're never getting away in time. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. So and, uh, yeah, when we were talking about this uh, this week, you said. David Holm. <laughs> you said, what a piece of work is David Holm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. He's, and what's interesting to me is he is both somebody you hate and despise and somebody you can also feel sorry for. And it turns out the director was David Holm, played David Holm. I didn't know and that. He, yeah. And mm-hmm. he went and lived among the poor for like three months as one of them. No kidding. Wow. To really get a sense of it before he wrote this story. So, my goodness. This is your early, um, what is that kind of acting? You know, the method acting yeah, kind method of thing. Yeah, method acting, right. Yeah. So, a super quick summary for anybody who's hung on this long without seeing it. So, on New Year's Eve, there's a legend that the last person to die in a year, if he's a great sinner, has to drive the phantom carriage for a year, picking up the souls of the dead. And it feels like a hundred years at least. Mm-hmm. So that's the punishment. And that's where you see the special effects, which are astounding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I loved, yeah. you know, uh, they were showing, um, I don't think it's, I'm, I don't know if we're trying not to give anything away or not, but. but well, not when, too much. Okay. But, but when yeah. they're showing kind of how death works, you know, how he collects yeah. people. And yeah. there was a one where he picked up someone who drowned. Because you know, we mm-hmm. don't know the person who drowned or anything, but it was just showing that he's out collecting yeah. people. And, yeah, he's he's riding his carriage through the ocean mm-hmm. and then uh, walks down into the ocean at the bottom of the ocean and picks up this person and climbs back up. And plucks that was really right impressive. Out. Yeah. I know, really because impressive. think what they had to get all the water footage. Then they had to do the footage of the guy lying there and then him going down and getting the soul and the guy yeah. standing up and all I mean, ghostly, really, all ghostly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you could see through a lot of people mm-hmm. and uh, the carriage and the, the horse and everything. And so, um, so for most of the movie, what we're shown is the story of David Holm, who is bitter and cruel and a drunkard. And he's continually in this loop of being both a victim and a victimizer, which is kind mm. of an interesting way to look at this person. And then there's this Salvation Army sister who believes he's got a kernel of goodness buried somewhere deep down, mm-hmm. and it can lead to his redemption, and so she's repeatedly trying to help him. She's also maybe a little attracted to him, but, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know why, because mm-hmm. he's never nice to her ever. Yeah, he's but, cruel. I mean... Worse yeah. than just not nice. <laughs> no, he's deliberately cruel yeah. and also to his own children. So, right. Um, but it was just so, again, another one that was unexpected. I was really just thinking it was a ghost movie mm-hmm. of some sort. And yeah. what you wound up with, as you say, is the most Christian one of all because you've got somebody who repeatedly is rejecting redemption and even just decent behavior. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's weak and his, uh, his tendency to drink, which 
we won't give away too many spoilers because I feel like these movies are brand new to all of us. Yeah, but, I think um, so too. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. But, mm. Yeah, but um, you see, and it's in a series of flashbacks within flashbacks when you're seeing how he started down his path and his the wrenching looks uh, later, you know, at his happy home life and how it was and how it could have been versus where it is now. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, what else I, to say. yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, that's great. You know, um, but yeah, he he is just difficult to even watch. It's just like, you know, what what the heck is making you so incredibly mean? Um, yeah. You know, why are you this way? Um, yeah, it was uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, and it was effective. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a point where I've already said he was deliberately cruel to his children, and there was a point where. I was sitting there kind of talking to the screen. I was worried. I was worried for his family. I didn't know what was going to happen. And in this movie, I felt there were two or three times like that, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. They, they signal everything well enough that you're pretty sure you know what's going to happen, but you're hoping you're reading it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, oh my gosh, don't let this happen. Oh, what kind of a movie is this? Why are you telling me these things? And it all... Um, it all works out the way it should. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I, Indeed. I don't know what else to say yeah. um, so that you don't feel like it's just full of horrible, horrible things. But um, for a movie from so long ago, there's a power to the story that we all relate to. And that's it right there. It's There's a power to this. Um, yeah, the, the message that it conveys is powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. So should we step beyond spoilers here? Yep, let's okay. do it. All right, yeah. I forgot we could. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> you Thank bet. goodness you reminded yeah, me. Yeah, we need to. You bet. Um, yeah, Lord, please let my soul come to maturity before yes. it is reaped. You know, um, yeah, that's a that's something right there. It's like, you know, this idea that um, if you live life long enough, you'll come around to your senses, you know, or this guy will, you know, David Holm. You know, if you could just live long enough then he can realize what he needs to do and repent and, um, you know, be redeemed. And that you're even working toward it. Even if you're terrible at it, Mm -hmm. you can still be open to it. Right, right. I mean, because when you look at the story that way, look at how long God was pounding on him. Mm. Um, And just starting with the Salvation Army story, which takes a year. Mm. Yeah. But that's enough to give him the, um, to give us, for them to tell us the story, and also for him to have like this Christmas Carol type experience. Right, right. Yeah, Christmas Carol, that's cool. Yeah, to connect it with that. And and that was something that I, it occurred to me uh, during mm-hmm. that time too. It's like, oh, this is interesting. Well, and it was all, you know, there's ghosts, you know, a, a Grim Reaper and, and all that oh, stuff. Yes. Very cool, oh, very yes. cool. <laughs> yes. But yeah. But, um, but yeah, he was just a nasty guy. Um, you know, I don't know what she saw in him, <laughs> but, no, um, but yeah, but, but then magnetism. his, uh, yeah, his, so it was his, his wife is not the person that, uh, is in love with him at, at the beginning of the movie or at, in the whole movie, I guess. Um, oh yeah. In the beginning when they're out there having the picnic mm-hmm. and he's having the little girl swimming and she's making dinner for everybody and his yeah. brother's there yeah. and they're having a happy time. I think she's in love with him then. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. But Agreed. That's, you're, it's a short period. You're it's right. It's a short period. But yeah, the, uh, but when his wife decides to end her life, um, 
That was super powerful. Yeah. And that's at the end. But, but the, uh, you know, that was finally the hammer that changed him, I guess. Um, because she was going to kill the children too. Yeah, exactly. Because she couldn't leave them behind. And he just couldn't believe, yeah, just couldn't take it. Um, wow. You know, I'd like to think in our own lives, it's not going to take something that intense to do this, <laughs> you know? So we, we, we can watch a movie like this and then, uh, and then go ahead and change without it having to happen. <laughs> well, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the other thing is, is that wife, the reason she was so mad in the beginning, you think it's because she thinks that David Holm has been um, attracted to the Salvation Army woman and so left her, left right. the wife. Mm-hmm. And really what it is, is the Salvation Army person believed in the deep good that he was redemptive or redeemable and assured the wife that everything would be okay and made her trust him again. Mm. And you can look at, when you're watching at least the second time, you're looking at the look in his face, and it's like, I don't know if he's converted to this idea. I mean, he's mm-hmm. kind of unsure, and like, well, it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, to take him straight from where he's scoffing at everybody at the party to this, it seems, you know, this is her unworldliness and, um, I guess, innocence and purity mm-hmm. that she thinks this could happen. And so, because at the end, when she's she's saying or I guess it's at the beginning, the dying woman is saying, who's the Salvation Army sister? Yeah. I have, please don't take me yet. I need redemption for myself for what I've done <laughs> to to them. And right. you're just like, what could you possibly, did you have an affair? What did you do? Mm-hmm. And it's what she did that affected all the lives was get their marriage reconciled when he wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And you look at that and go, huh, she's right, <laughs> but she meant it for the best. And I wasn't really questioning her need to feel redeemed, but she wanted to fix it before she left was essentially it. So I know I can fix it if I could just talk to him one more time. Yeah, and that's, that's really a powerful thing, too. Man. Um, yeah, you know, she loved that guy, but she's trying to fix his marriage. You know, she's doing wi- the right thing. Yeah, willing the good of the other is what she's doing. Mm-hmm. That is, that's what love is supposed to be. And she dies doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's not able to do anything, but her willingness, please let me live, right? Just for another day. Just give me a little more time. She just wants to try and make that right. And, yeah. you know, um, there's something about never quitting. Yeah. We're always told, you know, you have to keep moving forward always. Right, right. In your faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what she's doing. Yes, it is, you know, and um, yeah, there's just something about that, you know, at the very beginning, you know, where she, they didn't have the thing that, that would kill all the germs on the coat, you know, but she, she takes the right. coat and she sews it anyway. You know, that that just makes me think of religious people all over the place, you know, Mother Teresa and right. and our own priests, you know, our own priests that uh, go to hospital wards and things um, mm-hmm. to do their duties and um, amazing, you know, it's just a really powerful call. And, um, yeah, she was just really displaying it there. Well, there's so many saints who've done it. And like you say, our own priests during the recent COVID, uh, pandemic Mm -hmm. where, um, every, every diocese took different methods around the world, of course, but you would hear about these priests who are like, no, I'm, I'm young. I'm going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. I'm blessing these people. If they'll let me in, 
Right. I'm doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and how shocking it was, that attitude of uh, David's where he um, said, I don't know why you turn your head when you cough because why should, you know, I'm also a consumptive, he says, and I'm like, I want to spread it everywhere because why should we be the only ones suffering? Um, And and what an incredible uh, display, a very visceral display of the attitude of a lot of people, really. Um, Yeah. You know, and and that is, you know, in in large ways and small ways, the attitude of a lot of human beings. (laughs) He's so bitter. Yeah, so incredibly bitter, right? You yeah, know, and it's so really much tough so for people to, to feel um, good about someone who's going through something good rather than trying to drag that down. Well, and it's interesting because I remember watching this. <laughs> I was so shocked when he comes in and the kids are asleep mm. and he's flicking them in the head Ugh. with his fingers yeah. really harshly. And you know, I can't believe the kids didn't wake up, of course, but... It's that thing where she's like, why do you have to torture them? Why are you? And he kind of leans over and he's breathing on them and everything. Mm-hmm. She's like, why do you want to give them this disease? And he goes, why not? Yeah. I'm like, these are the most adorable little kids ever. Why would you do this? <laughs> but because he's lost all his humanity. He doesn't have any of it left. Mm-hmm. Um, and look at the lengths that are gone to to make him wake up. His wife has to be at the point of suicide and at the point of killing her children. It's going to be a murder-suicide because she can't leave them with no one to take care of them. Yeah. She loves them amazing. that much. And mm. you're just looking at it going, that's the wrong love, but I understand that love. She's at yeah. the end of her rope and she can't think of anything else to do. Yeah. So that's the difference between a, I would say, you know, in, inside David Holm, he goes from being, I guess, a nihilist where everything is meaningless to suddenly discovering the meaning. And then yeah. uh, being forced to act on that, right? Because he can't not. But the, the way he the acts person. all the way up to that time is that everything's meaningless. Nothing means anything, you know. And that he's a victim. Right. He comes out of jail where they say, we think you should take your brother's place because it's his your fault that he is like he is. And mm. I thought, wow, that's a really modern kind of an attitude in some mm. ways, you know. What's the psychological reason for all this stuff? And he just leaves his brother there. He's like, no, that's not happening. And he goes, mm. oh, I'm going to be the best husband, though, because I see how much pain I've caused. <laughs> and then he goes home, and the wife has, oh, you're coming. And I remember what it was like. So she took the kids and cleared out, and he's like, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find her and make her miserable. How dare she do this to me? I had nothing but the best intentions. And I was like, oh, self-pity. Oh, boy. It is so destructive and corrosive. Yes. Yeah. Because then you're at the center. And it's that thing that Bishop Barron says, right? Your life is not about you. Hmm. When you start thinking about other people, start taking care of other people, if nothing else, your own life starts to come into a better sense of proportion. Or perspective, I'm sorry. You get a better perspective on your life. Yeah, yeah. And he's got none of that because he's he's just thinking about himself all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep, till suddenly he isn't, you know? Right. Um, yeah, and that's that's interesting, you know, how that transition takes place. Because that's what everybody needs, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We, we all need that kick, but 
hopefully not uh, as hard as David Holm needs it. Yes, and really what he's doing to those kids is like little stuff. Um, it's not that he's not, um, it's just because that's what he's doing. He'll ha- he'll get into a fist fight with people. And I assume he was cruel to his wife in ways that aren't indicated. Hmm. Because she certainly seems downtrodden um, but and fearful. But we're not shown him doing anything like she's going to do. And when he knows he's responsible for that, and when he's heard the Salvation Army sister hmm. saying, you know, how she longs for his redemption... And all these things have an effect on him. Cumulative effect, building effect. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, until it finally breaks. Yeah. And yeah. he's a he's a ghost facing a year of collecting <laughs> collecting dead folks. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, you know what I just realized? Hmm. The first people he would have had to collect would have been them. Right. <laughs> That's oh. right. Brutal. Brutal for sure. Yeah. Yeah, either them or um, that woman, Maria. No, no, because remember, death says I'm sorry, not other Maria. people, yeah. ones who aren't like a, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it should have been Maria. Edith, Edith. yeah. Edith. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's a terrible name. It should have been mm-hmm. Maria, but fine, Edith. So, mm-hmm. um, but remember, death says, oh, no, those, it's something like, Others are coming to our mm-hmm. place isn't here. The, right. And so you right. just assume it's angels coming to get her. Oh, and yeah, honestly, yeah. Mm-hmm. that gripped my imagination so strongly that the second time I was waiting to see the angels take her. I literally thought I remembered seeing, you know, like light with wings mm-hmm. and the light going up from the bed. I do not. I That was totally my imagination from watching it the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. Wow, this is a good show. I'm, yeah, again, um, it, it's really surprised me, um, you know, coming from Sweden, too, how <laughs> how uh, religious this was. But then, of course, you know, Ingmar Bergman uh, made The Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and in 1921... Cultural contexts were very different than they are now. Mm-hmm. You know, you hit this period where everything started changing and how people thought about society, life, religion, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Metropolis. Yeah. I'm not thinking of Germany as the place where you're making this crazy science fiction movie and you're putting all this religious stuff in. But there's that context of the Messiah that gets used. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody understands it. It's the cultural language, and it's not a bad message to have in either of these movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. It's funny. The other two movies we watched were kind of like summer blockbuster popcorn type movies. <laughs> yeah. And then these two are uh, certainly popular m- movie material, but definitely deeper. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I don't know... Um, you know, to me, when I think of silent film before this, those movies, those popcorn movies are what I think of. Um, mm-hmm. But now I've discovered, thanks to you, you know, there's there's depth to some of this stuff. And I'm wondering what else is out there. Um, you've watched, uh, you and your family have watched uh, a bunch of these, right? Some, you were kind of on, not- a, on a little... Uh, 
side quest or whatever, whatever you call yeah, it. <laughs> just just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in fact, the Phantom Carriage was not on my list to watch, and um, the General, which you brought up, I knew of, but I hadn't seen for years. But I watched City Lights, which is Charlie Chaplin, who we didn't get to, and that's. Um, more of the summer blockbuster type movie, I think, but it's got a, it's got a, a movie with heart, you know, it's got mm-hmm. a good story to it. And also it's super funny in mm-hmm. a lot of places. Cool. There's one bit I've referenced two or three times recently in talking to the family about stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but I still have a few early movies on my list for this year. Like, so I'm going to watch It, which is not what Americans now think of. It's a 1927 movie. It's silent. It has Clara Bow in it. And it's she's the It girl. Hmm. She changed how women at the time uh, dressed and thought about themselves and acted and everything. And then, because cool. she, she was It. Uh-huh. And um, then also I want to watch Buster Keaton's uh, Sherlock Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's on my list is, too. Mm-hmm. Which is like this, I wonder if it's one of the first meta films like that. Mm. And um, I know there are a few others, but those are the ones that come to mind. Well, cool. Uh, I, I will be seeking some more out myself. Yeah, let but me so know So I'll continue down find. that Buster Keaton rabbit hole and then see where else that takes me. But um, I'm really enjoying that right now. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what you find. Okay. Um, you know what you yeah. like. I'd, I was ready to add it to my list. Oh, cool. You bet. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, but thank you for these movies. Oh. Too well, you're fun. You're very welcome. <laughs> Too fun. And I'm so glad you wanted to, that you said, oh, let's do a month of it. <laughs> okay. All <laughs> let's right. Let's do, yeah. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because I'm thinking there's, um, there are, oh, crud. Well, never mind. I lost track of what I was thinking. Oh, because here's the thing. A lot of people like silent movies who are filmmakers. Remember that movie, The Artist, that came out? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everybody was like, this is amazing. And I was like, no, this is like La La Land. It's only amazing because you wish people were making silent movies or musicals again that were good and you're willing to accept something that's not what it could be. Hmm. Not that the artist wasn't beautiful and everything, but it wasn't what it could be. And um, La La Land, yeah. don't get me started. <laughs> also, not what it could have been. And um, hmm. in so many ways. Hmm. But um, yeah, this, it's like there's a whole nother set of movies that we've never heard of. And a lot of them are American, hmm. you know? Yeah. That we could explore. Right. So. Very good. Yeah. Looking forward to exploring more. Yeah. (laughs) Hoping that um, people will watch a few of these. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Well, good. Um, So, yeah. What's coming up next for us is a, we're going to medieval times, even earlier than silent film times. <laughs> Which Luckily. I love. I'm, I'm really excited because this is a series that I've wanted to dip into and try. So I'm really yep. thrilled that you picked it. Uh, One Corpse Too Many by Ellis Peters. 
Yes, yeah. and this is the second story in the series, and I've tried the first story three or four times and not liked it at all. Mm. And I finally decided, and the second one surprised me so much, and how much I liked it that I just decided it's kind of like the first season of Parks and Recreation. You just skip mm. it and pretend it didn't exist and move on from there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Too funny. So, uh, yeah. yeah, but mm. it's got all the stuff. And the thing I like about her is she's accurate to how the people would have thought and acted. She doesn't modernize them. Gotcha. You know. Great. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. So Okay, Murder Thumbs Mystery, Murder Medieval mystery. Times. Right. Excellent. There we go. <laughs> well, good. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yes. And, if you're uh, uh, listening in current times, I hope you're having a blessed Lent. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that your struggles are fruitful. Yes. I, I, I hope the same. And if uh, you should happen to know the title of a silent movie that we should watch, I would oh, love yeah. to know that too. So, <laughs> yeah. Send away. <laughs> yes. Send an email, mm-hmm. leave a comment. Whatever. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Take care, all. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.